Welcome to the Proper Lookout Podcast, published by the Statutory Insurance Group of McCabe Kerwood. In this series, our CTP experts will discuss a range of topics, sharing their thoughts on an industry trend or an intriguing legal issue, explaining the intricacies of an important case, and hopefully imparting some of the knowledge that they have gained. Hi everyone, Laura Delisandri here from the Statutory Insurance Group of McCabe Kerwood. For those of you who have been with us from the beginning, you might remember me from some of our very first podcasts. I have recently returned from maternity leave and I thought I'd drag Chad Farah in to update me on a few things. But first, congratulations on your promotion to Senior Associate, Chad. Thank you, Laura. That's very kind of you to say thank you very much and welcome back. It's good to be back. So I brought Chad in because he is our resident expert on the definition of earner. And I'm going to make Chad deal with a hypothetical injured person who was on maternity leave at the time of injury. But first, Chad has some unfinished business to deal with from an earlier podcast. So for those of you who remember podcast number 47, at the end, we left a bit of a quiz question out there to be answered. And I offered a free coffee to the best answer. And the quiz was more to do with whether a particular individual can be classified as an earner. I'll run you through that fact scenario again, just to refresh your memories. Chris is a young aspiring musician and he's never had a job. For the last year, he had been focused on his YouTube channel where he uploads videos of himself playing instrumental covers on his electric guitar. And obviously he hopes to be scouted by a professional band and it was always his dream to be a rock star. Unfortunately, Chris is involved in an MVA and he sustained several fractures to his left arm and nerve damage. He could no longer play the guitar to the same level that he did prior to the MVA. So one day, a few weeks after Chris is discharged from hospital, He is contacted by a prominent Sydney band who had come across some of his videos online. They offer him a lucrative contract as a lead guitarist, including an international tour. But unfortunately, Chris then has to decline because he's unable to play the guitar by virtue of his permanent injury. So the question was, was Chris an owner? And Laura and I had a bit of a discussion about this earlier, and we went through some of the answers that we'd received, some from our clients some from other solicitors, some from even colleagues of ours. And I'd like to give a shout out in particular to Catherine Teague, who provided a a pretty good answer and uh, was able to identify that I didn't actually specify Chris's age. So if Chris was under 15 at the time of the accident, then he would not have been an owner in any event. And also, I'd like to give a shout out to Tori Foley, one of our secretaries who is currently a law student. Tori gave me a very detailed written answer and was spot on in identifying that Chris had not actually entered into any arrangement or solid arrangement prior to this particular accident to become self-employed in any capacity. And on that basis, I think taking everything into account, I must give the coffee to Tori and congratulate her on her excellent answer. If I'd known there was coffee up for grabs, I would have ended. (laughs) (laughs) But Chad, I think you forgot the most important entry and you might be in trouble when you get home if you don't mention uh, your darling wife. Yes. um, Well, my my wife did give me a very good answer uh, and hers centered more on whether the term arrangement actually captures more than one person. So if someone is entering into an arrangement to become self-employed, does that mean that they have to be dealing with a third party? And that initially was, to me, a, a pretty good, you know, understanding of that subsection. Then I spoke to oh, Peter Hunt. Well, well, you know, I spoke to Peter, Peter Hunt, and he's like, well, you know, an arrangement is not necessarily, you know, an agreement with, with another person. It can also be unilateral. And having a look at the wording of Schedule 1, 
I think Peter convinced me that my wife was somewhat on the wrong track. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so that coffee must uh, ultimately go to Tori in all fairness. And you'll have to, if your wife is angry, you'll have to send yeah, her Peter's I way. I have to work on my relocation. <laughs> so uh, leaving aside the offer of coffee, which was my favourite part of uh, Chad's podcast, I also really liked, well, I really like the Toy Story references because I've got a toddler and it's just unavoidable. But apart from Toy Story, I also like that you gave us a really easy checklist to use to establish whether someone was an earner. And I thought we might apply that checklist today to my maternity leave hypothetical. Yeah, great. I think that would be great. So let's say a person is injured six months into her 12 months of planned maternity leave. Before we start, I have linked Schedule 1 of the Maya uh, below, which is helpful if you want to read along. One thing I will say, I've just returned from maternity leave and it seems that the industry has unilaterally decided that we're calling it the Maya, not the Mayor. And I'm a bit upset because I was team Mayor and, you know, I've been outvoted apparently. <laughs> so schedule one of the Maya is linked below. So chat, do you want me to go through the flowchart? <laughs> uh, if I can remember it. Look, I think the first step is, is one that we touched on earlier, but obviously the person has to have been more than 15 years of age or at least 15 years of age at the time of the MVA. Well, let's say yes, so they let's, are. Let's say yes. Let's say yes. <laughs> they are over 15 years of age. The second one in your flowchart or your checklist was, was the person retired permanently from all employment at the time of the accident? Yeah, so I, I think that must be a no. <laughs> they might, might have hopes of yes. uh, permanently retiring, but if you're on that leave and planning on returning to work, we assume you're not that retired. Yeah, you're not retired completely at least. Yeah. Um, the third one was whether the person was in receipt of weekly payments under the Workers' Compensation Act. And for the purposes of this hypothetical, let's say no. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the one that is, I believe, relevant to this hypothetical, and that is, was the person employed at any time during the eight weeks immediately prior to the motor vehicle accident? And if the answer is yes, they are an earner. So in this hypothetical situation, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chad, but this person is still employed. Mm -hmm. They're on, assuming that they're on maternity leave from employment and they have, you know, that's approved leave and they're intending to return um, and there is a position available for them when they return, they are employed for the purposes of this and they are considered an earner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Do you agree with that? I think it would be a different situation if someone had taken some time off from working generally to care for their kids and they didn't have a particular job to return to, they would possibly not be an earner. I also thought it was interesting that it doesn't matter for this particular hypothetical or for the definition of earner whether someone was on paid or unpaid maternity leave at the time they were injured. But what paid or unpaid maternity leave could influence is their pre-accident weekly earnings which I think is something we should look at now because that area is more complicated than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, there's, there's so many different things to consider, I think. And, uh, I mean, becoming an earner is, is the first hurdle for claimants, but I think they also have to establish, well, what am I getting paid? Exactly. Um, and how, how is that calculated? So what are your thoughts on the maternity leave scenario? So Schedule 1, Part 4, provides that pre-accident weekly earnings or POWI, poor, POWI? I say Paul. You say <laughs> Paul. We, we've got a, a POWI slash Paul argument going in the office, um, <laughs> send us your votes. And we'll... Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the pre-accident weekly earnings is the average of gross weekly earnings over the 12 months immediately before the accident. But in our hypothetical example, her just say she was on unpaid maternity leave, if you were to calculate her average over 12 months before the accident, it's going to be significantly reduced to what her actual earnings are, weekly earnings were or were likely to be. 
So that's where we need to look at subclause two in order to help this new mum out. So subclause two provides four circumstances for someone who doesn't have 12 months of continuous earnings from which to calculate their poor. For the purposes of subclause two, the pre-accident period is not 12 months, it is two years. So it's the two-year period immediately preceding the accident. So the first of the four situations is where someone has just started earning. So if someone has just started a new job, if you were to take the average over 12 months, obviously it's not going to reflect their pre-accident weekly earnings. What subsection 2A says is that you take it from when they started those earnings. So this would be someone who was injured shortly after returning from maternity leave. I mean, that situation, her pre-accident earnings could be calculated from when she returned to work. The second situation, this is subsection 2A1, is the one that I believe captures the hypothetical situation we've got, and that is someone who was injured during maternity leave. Um, and it provides that if an earner was employed for at least six months of the year starting two years before the accident, then the pre-accident weekly earnings can be calculated by reference to that first year. And this clause, it seems to me, is virtually drafted to capture this situation. Mm. So instead of taking the 12 months from when this person who was on maternity leave was injured, you go back two years and you take that 12-month period, uh, which is likely to be have been before the maternity leave was started. Mm. What I hadn't intended on considering but ended up being caught up in it, in the spiral that is this uh, <laughs> <laughs> Schedule 1, was what happens if someone is on maternity leave for two years or more. So even if they had firm arrangements in place to return to work, if they hadn't received any earnings for, you know, six months in the last two years, um, subsection 2A1 isn't going to help them. Mm. So their pre-accident weekly earnings would be zero if um, they were relying on subsection 2A1. So then we need to look at the third and fourth scenarios. And those third and fourth scenarios deal with a change in circumstances or an arrangement made with their employer. Subclause three, that's the one that deals with change in circumstances, doesn't assist this mum that's returning after two years of maternity leave. And it doesn't assist because they haven't at that point actually received the earnings. You may recall Peter Hunt discussed a merit review decision that deals with this point, and that was podcast number 28. I've linked the merit review below, but you'll find it on the CIRA website. In that merit review, it dealt with a, a canteen worker who had an arrangement in place to receive higher hourly rates, but those higher rates weren't to have commenced until after the accident. So because they had not actually received those higher rates, they were not entitled, that did not get calculated as part of their pre-accident uh, weekly earnings. So in the same way, it's not going to help this mum that's returning, who's injured before they returned from maternity leave. So what this new mum does need to rely on, in our view, is the fourth scenario. You'll find that in subclause 2C, and that is where an earner has entered into an arrangement with an employer then the average weekly gross earnings that the employer could reasonably have been expected to earn but for the injury is in employment under that arrangement. I suspect that this clause was drafted to capture someone who had entered into an arrangement to start a new job, but they hadn't actually started that job yet. However, I can't see why this subclause couldn't be relied on by someone returning to work after two years or more of maternity leave. And it would be a clever way of getting around the restriction of looking at 
earnings prior to the injury where in circumstances where someone does have a job and he's going to return to a job. But when you look at how much you know, money they've received from their employer in that period at zero, mm. which is unfair. Yeah. So then they shift the focus not on the past but on the future. Yeah. What absolutely. am I going to return to work and continue being paid? And that's how you'd calculate their, their poor or PRW or PRW. <laughs> Whatever we which, which, I think, which I think is very fair. Because I think it's fair. You don't, want a, you don't want a situation where injured persons under, you know, on mat leave would be caught out by by a void in that absolutely. schedule. Absolutely. But please, it's by no means clear, so please let us know if you have a different view. The other thing that this got us thinking was that merit review application that we discussed about the canteen worker, would there have been a different outcome had they argued it under clause C, uh, subclause C instead of subclause B? Because it was argued on the basis of a change of circumstances, mm. which had the requirement that they had received, there was that issue that they hadn't actually received the higher income. But under subclause C... You don't need that. You don't. Yeah, because, I mean, it's quite broad and it's an arrangement. It doesn't have to be enforceable by contract. It simply has to be by way of a plan or a preparation of somehow, some way. And it can be vague to a certain extent, but as long as you, I guess, prove an intention, mm. that's all you need. Yeah, and that there was, a, I guess, an arrangement in place. Mm. So, yeah, please let us know what your thoughts are on this section. We're looking forward to hearing from you. But until then... Bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Proper Lookout podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information on anything discussed, please contact Peter Hunt at peter.hunt at mccabecurwood.com.au or visit our website to see McCabe Curwood's full team of specialists.